Okay, let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Last week I read a longer section. Didn't even get close to where I had thought when I first started studying this passage that we were going to get to. And, um, but let's just read. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I can't wait to address that verse, which I told you last week I would address today, but I'm wrong. I was wrong. We're, we're not going to get there. But I want to say this. That is quite a statement. The end of all things is near. So pray with a clear head and love one another with your whole heart. That's sort of putting it in a nutshell. Pray with a clear head and love one another with your whole heart. Context is always helpful. So let's look uh, quickly at the lead up to this statement that we just read. Um, People were being persecuted for following Jesus. When Peter wrote this, he was writing to people and, uh, who, were, who were suffering for Jesus, who were being persecuted. And you look back, I have all of those passages in Peter in my uh, Bible underlined in orange. So I look and I know, oh, suffering, 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 persecution, it's all through there. The, the people who were following Jesus and proclaiming why it's important to do so, the gospel, they were suffering. They were paying a price for following the Lord. All through this letter, uh, Peter says, this isn't surprising. He said, you, you, you can expect that this will happen. You can expect to suffer for following Jesus. Jesus suffered, it says in the first verse, of uh, chapter 4. Jesus suffered for living fully for God his Father. And we can expect the same. Now, why? Why? Why, why should it in, entail? Why should following Christ entail, involve, uh, include suffering? Let me say it. The human race is in rebellion to God Determined to be masters of their own destiny. Being mandated to acknowledge our sins and our sinfulness. To turn from self-rule and submit to God's rule in our lives. For some people, that makes sense. For the people in this room, most of them anyway. Hearing that message made enough sense that you said, that's what's wrong with me and with life in this world. That it's, it's not just that, it's not just something else. This I'm out of sync with the living God. The world is out of sync. And so we hear that message that we need to turn from our sin and our sinfulness and from our self-rule and submit to God's rule in our lives. And we say, that's what's wrong. I agree. I accept and get saved. Others hear that news and they get even more rebellious and more defiant 
at the thought of their self-will and their self-determination being threatened. No, I, I will not be ruled by any. I have free will, and I'm going to assert it. So they try to silence the threat internally. I'm not going to listen to any voice telling me. I, I was once at my chiropractor's office uh, right around the time, just shortly after Nigel was born. And there was a really nice lady that worked in there. I was sitting in there waiting, and I don't remember how we got in the conversation, but something was said about guilt, and she told me, I don't believe in guilt. And it's like, huh? What do you mean you don't believe in it? Like somebody murdered somebody, they're guilty, they... That guilt is guilt, like they did it. And it's like, she, and then, you know, she meant, I don't believe in entertaining any thoughts of guilt. And I thought, wow, you're kidding. Jesus, it's great to meet you. <laughs> you haven't sinned. Like, honestly, I mean, uh, I got to say, there's times where guilt has been uh, not only very real and true, but even something of a gift. I did something, felt guilty realized mm, that was off, and you go make something right. Guilt doesn't have to be that, I don't mean the same as living under a constant weight of shame or something, but guilt is guilt. And this lady, she was basically saying, no, I won't, I won't have it. I won't listen to that. And she's not alone. Many, we hear the gospel, and you know, I want to silence that thing that threatens my self-rule and my self-determination. I want to silence it. And some who are really defiant, and it's a growing number, they want to silence it everywhere. They want to silence you. They want to silence anyone that would speak that. You know the, the movie, we had a movie night a few months ago. I watched a movie called Jesus Revolution. It was about Greg Laurie as a young man. Well, Greg Laurie has been an evangelist in California. A few years ago, there was a poster up. He was holding a crusade. There was a, a poster, sorry, a billboard. And it was a picture of him holding his Bible. And it was kind of a picture like this. But where the photo was at, it was just a black book. You could tell nothing about it. People went... They lost their minds that that billboard should not be up there. The fact that he's, by holding up a Bible, he's effectively telling you how you must live and that for him to have that is sort of like hate speech against everybody else who doesn't believe what he believes. Well, you know, that's ludicrous, but that's the kind of thing that, no, we can't hear that we won't hear that we're defiant we're rebellious so we want to silence it from all quarters we don't want to have anything that threatens us so believers in peter's day and in this day suffered because of the gospel of life that they hold to threatened other people threatened their self-rule has anybody encountered that you know what i mean okay i'll get off So Peter says in verse 1, adopt a reality-based mindset that includes suffering for Jesus and suffering like Jesus. He says, Jesus suffered in the flesh. You're going to adopt or arm yourself with a mindset that this will happen. It's to be expected. How many people woke up this morning and claimed that promise? Yeah, probably not many. 
But of course, Peter doesn't stop there. He continues and he's urging the followers of Jesus saying, which includes us, saying, live the rest of your lives on earth. However much time you've got, live the rest of your lives on earth for God's will rather than in the pursuit of all the most selfish, base desires and appetites. The rest of the time you have, live for God. And that, if you read that list, if you back up later tonight and you read uh, chapter, uh, sorry, verse uh, three um, of this, you'll realize that that word spoken that there's nothing new under the sun is true because it's all the same things that you would hear about and see in our day. Uh, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it would appear that sin is pretty much the same yesterday, today, and day, uh, yesterday, today, and forever. So most importantly, though, Peter brings this uh, to the vital truth that all of us, both those being persecuted and those persecuting, will give an account to God. He says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge both the living and the dead. That means he's ready to judge those from every age, from this age and every age previous to this. This is why, he says, this is why the gospel has been preached so that people can receive life in the Spirit according to God's will. That's why it's been preached, so that we can have life. But others hate that thought and so they fight against it and try to silence it. Now, that's not the main part of this. The main part now is verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is near. This thing, the end is near. Uh, did it show the caption when it first went up? The end of... Uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, that depends on which way you went with that news, a good thing or a bad thing. The end is near. Does anybody feel any kind of weight about that? Thinking the end of the world could be near, do you feel any weightiness, any heaviness, any concern at all? Sure. Yeah. For a few reasons. But let me ask this. If today was your last day and you knew it, you, it would naturally affect what you do. If you knew that this was, that you're going to go home from church tonight and this is your last hurrah. <laughs> Not to make light of it. Today is your last day. It would affect, if you knew it was your last day, it would affect what you do, wouldn't it? There are certain things you would not do, right? You wouldn't look at your bank statement and start thinking about, should I add more money to my RRSP? <laughs> Let me ask, would you make sure that your sock drawer is nicely organized? 
some of us, it never has been, so fair enough. It's, you know, you, there are certain things you wouldn't do and other things that would, would matter, right? You'd, you would call somebody you loved, right? You'd, you'd call somebody and talk to them. You'd do certain things. You'd cover some things and some things you'd say, all of a sudden, that knowing this is my last um, day, it would arrange our priority list for sure, right? Some things would drop off and we'd realize, yep, that one's not going to get done and I don't care, right? That sock drawer thing is not going to happen. These are the things to prioritize. I don't mean I'm about to tell you. I mean, you'd look and say, these are the things that I'm doing, other things not. A lot of things would be placed in their right place. And one of those things is what Peter says here. The end of all things is at hand. Okay? We take you, you know what you're talking about, Peter. He's an old guy by this point, or older. He didn't live to be, uh, in fact, he might have been maybe about my age when the end came. Um, But he didn't have more years. His life got cut short. But Peter is saying at this point, he's a seasoned, experienced apostle. He's suffered for the name of Jesus. And he says, the end of all things is near, church. Therefore, and we should all be like, what, what's next? The end is near. Therefore, he's going to tell us what should be on that priority list. Right? The end of all things is near, therefore, he says that the thing at the top of the list right there, the thing that shoots way up, is prayer. Not just as a spiritual discipline that I want to have a good devotional life. It is a spiritual discipline, of course, but it goes up in priority because it has value and power as a bridge between the here and the hereafter. The end of all things is about to happen here, he's saying. So, therefore, be of sound judgment and sober mind for the purpose of prayer. Get prayer in its place. Get prayer in its place. Why? Because prayer is reaching beyond this material world into the spiritual world. It's laying a hold of God. I mean, it, it's touching him. And we know, okay, wait a minute. I'm about to give account to God. I want to know what God thinks about some things right now. Amen? I want to know what God thinks. What should I be doing right now, God? The end is near. What should I be busying myself with right now, God? What's important? What would you like? And in prayer, we can find out what those things are. It has value and it has power because it's a bridge between the temporal and the eternal, between the material and the immaterial, the spiritual, between this short-lived little world and the hereafter that goes on and on and on, boundless. God is urging us through Peter. He's saying the temporal world and the state of things is coming to its end. Therefore, be of sound judgment, sober spirit, so you can pray as you should. How many would like a prayer upgrade? Like to be praying in a way that, oh, this pleases God. 
He, I'm, God is our Father. He's pleased when we draw near to Him. But in terms of what He can accomplish through us, He wants us to be open and free before Him that He can lead us and guide us and speak to us. And do, we'll, we'll, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk more about the kinds of prayer in just a moment. But prayer, rather than panic, ought to be our response to the reality of the fast approaching end of the world. Because it, it's reasonable to look around and wars and things and, you know, get a little bit heavied out by some of that. The end of all things is coming. We don't quite know how that's going to look. Words like Peter saying, you know, you can expect suffering. Well, who likes that? Nobody. Nobody likes that. But Peter and Paul and all of the apostles, they got to a place that, okay, willing to do that. And even this amazing thing, they suffered, you know, persecution for preaching the gospel. It says they went away rejoicing, saying, we, we took the blows from these people, these people that wanted to silence the gospel. We did that for Jesus. And they were honored that they got to do that. That they, and Paul even said, fill up in my body all of that suffering that I can carry more of it so you have to carry less of it. Wow. That's, that's not just your average disciple. That's somebody said, I'll take more of it so there's less for you. Well, there's a thought that crosses my mind regularly because I don't like the idea of the fast approaching end. And some of it is because I think of you guys and younger people. And I think, well, I don't want Ely to have to... Be, I, I'd like to hang on and carry some of the weight so that you have to carry less of it in your time. That there's... that. Some of us who are, I won't even look at anybody else, some of us who are a little bit older um, <laughs> um, will we'll take some more of that like Paul did, like Peter did, like these guys saying, no, we're going to cover some of it so that our spiritual, uh, the next generation spiritually doesn't have to bear as much of it. That, that's a, that's a, a, a Holy Spirit birthed desire because in myself i recoil from pain and suffering just like everybody else in this room nobody 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 you know sort of well maybe there's somebody that's twisted that would say oh no i like it but listen for the most part we avoid suffering right and so here's here's peter saying Prayer rather than panic at this heavy news that the end is near. And I don't even think he meant it as heavy news. He meant it as, yay, the end is coming. Our redemption draws near, just like Jesus said. You know, don't cower, but stand up, lift up your heads, for your redemption is drawing near. The fulfillment of what we've believed. So, he says, Prayer rather than panic ought to be our response. Why? Because panic does nothing good. Panic does nothing good in our lives. Earlier this year, um, I was reading a short book. 
put out by the BC Forest Service sometime in the late 70s. And I found it somewhere at a thrift store or a used bookstore and bought this thing. And the book is called, it's about wilderness survival. And it's called wilderness survival. See how that works? It's, that's what it's about. And I was at home reading this book, and I devoured it in a week because I loved it. One night, I was at home. Rose, and she, Rose had come over. Uh, sorry, Rose had come over. It was nice of you to drop in, honey. Cherise came over to visit Rose. They were in the living room, and Cherise came into my office, and I was just about finished, and she, uh, she came in and uh, said, oh, what are you reading? And I said, wilderness survival. And I started talking about, yeah, and it talks about, you know, plants that are found here that you can eat, and some of them, it's a little scary because it says, these ones, you can eat the roots, but if you eat the leaves, you'll get really sick. If you eat the leaves on this one, you can make tea with it, but if if the flower gets in there, you'll die, and all this. So it's like, and so I don't have it memorized, so I've got to take it with me if I go to the wilderness, Okay. And, but Cherise, after a while, she says to me, oh, you mean it's actually about wilderness survival? Because she was thinking wilderness survival, it was some kind of a, because I'm such a spiritual guy. She thought it was a deeply spiritual book. Um, but listen, this is what this says on the inside cover, even before you read the book. And I love this. If you are lost, do not panic. Be calm. Turn to page 44, sit down and read it. If you don't have the book with you, panic. No, it doesn't say that, sorry. First aid, keep calm. Turn to page 126, read entire page. And then it says this, remember, if you panic, you'll be in trouble. When you find yourself in trouble, be calm, sit down and think. That, that for me was the... The really the price of the book, which I probably got for ten cents. So, it, but it, it was remember, and they put they embolden it. If you panic, you'll be in trouble. I found that in my life. I found that in my life once when I was swimming and I was doing something, and a guy who was a good swimmer, he and I were going to go from one dock to another one, and. As soon as I felt the first twinge of, whew, I'm feeling tired. I'm not sure I can make it. Ah! <laughs> you know, I'm kind of freaked out. And now in that case, the specific word, be calm, sit down, and think, wouldn't quite work. But roll over on your back and settle down. But I panicked. And so thankfully, this guy, Rocky, he's, that was his name, uh, he swam beside me and sort of put his hand under my stomach and held me up for a bit. And then at a certain point, I realized, wait a minute, I can roll over on my back and swim. And, and so I, I didn't die that day. Um, but if you panic, you'll be in trouble. Don't panic. Sit down and think. And we can go one better. We have even better counsel and resources. Sit down, think, and pray. Get in touch with the one who has access to all the resources we could possibly need. So we hear the end is coming. Don't panic about that. Don't let it heavy you out. Keep in prayer so that when you think, 
wow, now America's getting involved in this war, and oh, and there's more wars, and oh, Iran seems to be, you know, proxy, uh, uh, you know, um, they're involved in this war by proxy, and uh uh-oh, and then what if they get fully involved, and Russia gets involved, and China, and you know, and all these kind of things, yikes, lots could happen. Don't get freaked out about this. Keep in mind who we have access to. What if COVID comes back? Well, what if Jesus comes back? And he is. And what we can pray. What if there's this? What if there's that? What if there's this? What if there's that? Don't panic. Sound judgment and a sober mind and pray. There's urgency in the fact that the end is coming, but there's also clarity. We have access to the one who is the beginning and the end. We have access to the one who who has the say that it's all over. He's the one that loves us, that redeems us. We have him. We can't control a lot of things in our lives, right? There's a lot of things beyond our control. What we can control through prayer is our hearts, minds, emotions. They can be brought into subjection to the promises of God, to the will of God through prayer. Through prayer, we see, we remember his promises, his purposes, and what it means to be involved, in, included rather, in his family. And it's like, ah, this settling effect. There's turmoil, there's all of that kind of stuff in the world. Prophecy is being fulfilled. It points to the nearness of the return of Jesus, the end of all things. Obviously, this world is all we've ever known. So the end of it is kind of a daunting prospect for us to take in. How's that going to look? I'm not sure. But Jesus says, take courage. I've overcome the world. Jesus says, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. The end is near. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? For us, it means our redemption is drawing near our redemption, the fulfillment of it, the completion of it for lovers of Jesus will take place. But God knows we'll need some help along the way to address anxious thoughts that'll be stirred up by the, as we sang earlier, the wind and the waves around us. I want to just read for a second Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9 that speaks some things very similar to this in different contexts. This was Paul writing to the people of Philippi. And it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit or your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding or comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to leave it at that. And the peace of God that surpasses 
All understanding, all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Celebrate him. Do it intentionally, he's saying. Make yourself celebrate and delight in him because he's near. He's saying this. Like the end, it's at hand. He's at hand. With this in view, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Instead, rejoice in him always and be anxious for nothing. How much? For nothing. On purpose. But I can't help it if I feel anxious from time to time because of circumstances. Circumstances come and they'll trigger something. It's kind of like I don't live in fear, but if somebody jumps out from behind a, a, you know, a, a, a dark corner when I'm walking somewhere and, you know, I'm going to be fearful for a moment, right? You can't help that. That's a natural response. So I, that's, that's just a, a, like a reflex. But I can help it if I live in fear. I can do something about it. I, I don't have to keep living. We feel anxiety because of something. But don't stay there. Don't camp there. Don't just make friends with anxiety. Perhaps you can't control your initial response. But counter it with the truth, right? Counter it with what the Bible says. And Paul gives us a prescription for uh, a prescription of the truth for countering anxious thoughts. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, that's no exceptions, in everything by prayer and petition, accompanied with thanksgiving, that means there's some faith in it that he's expecting God to answer because he said he would, In everything by prayer and petition, accompanied by thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Rather than camping where you're worried and anxious and overwhelmed by things beyond your control, draw near to the one who controls everything. The one who is the earth and all it contains. Nothing gets God anxious. Really, tell the person next to you, nothing makes God anxious. Nothing takes him like, oh my goodness, God on the throne. Could you imagine God? Oh, shoot, I never thought of that. The one thing I didn't think of, they did. No, God's not ever kind of anxious about it. He's, he's at peace. So the peace of God that passes understanding is that way because it's coming from him. I like if you follow that down further in Philippians, it says... Think on these things, whatever's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely. It says all of these things. And it says, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And now, not only the peace of God, it says, and the God of peace will be with you. I love that. I've got the peace of God, but then even better, I've got the God of peace. Wow. It's like, what am I worried about? Sure, my initial response might be anxiety to something or something, you know, startles or something's like, oh, how are we going to deal with that? And it's like, hang on a second. I am never without resources, ever. There's lots of stuff. And this doesn't just go for worry and anxiety. This could go for all kinds of things. Um, This could go for my bad temper it's like hang on 
Do I have to be ruled by that thing? No, I don't. It's just I'm selfish, and so it feels good to just be mad. But get out of it. Now, next time I am, Rose is going to say that to me. She's <laughs> get out of it. Good. Um, this whole thing, God is the one who's in control, and he gives us access to himself. So let me cover this really quickly. Types of prayer that, that will help you address the weight of the world and the fast approaching end of the world. And if, it, if the end doesn't come for another century, that we'll be able to handle everything this way anyway. Types of prayer. Now he says, in, all, in everything by prayer, and some say supplication. A supplication means a cry or a plea for mercy. It's a good word. Or petition. There's all of these types of prayer. Fellowship prayer. I want to know God. I enjoy those conversational times with God. We need that kind of prayer because it's a relationship, right? We're relating to God. He wants to relate to us as our father. We relate to him as a daughter or a son. We relate to him and that there's fellowship. I get to know him and I must know him. There's Petition prayer, where I come and there are needs and I need to ask God for things. He's not saying, John, that's too big or that's too small. No, bring the small ones, bring the big ones uh, and ask. There are some things God might, and he does this, it's like he doesn't answer that prayer right away or maybe he did, maybe he said no and I just didn't want to hear it, but it's like that's not what you need that's not what you're getting and in some cases I think it's like a parent in the world where their kid comes up and asks for something and it's like nah I'm not even answering that I know what's about to happen I'm gonna something better is gonna happen and you go by and you know when the time comes and they get whatever that is it's like not even worried about that thing I, I wanted the toy with bells and whistles and all this stuff. And it's like, no, that's not what you want. You want something else. And God knows. But there's petition. We still ask. Fellowship prayer, petition prayer, worship. Worship is prayer. We come and we declare the reality of who God is. The greatness of God. The promises of God. The blessings of God. The things of God. The challenges that we're going through. God, I'm in this. Where are you in this? That's how David worshipped at times. It was like he used the phrase, How long, O Lord? How long am I going to be in this? I've been in a, in a miry pit. And then by the end of the thing, by the end of the psalm, it's like he's saying, You've dealt bountifully with me. My feet were in the miry clay by the end of the psalm. And so what happened? Well, I don't believe that all of those psalms were just written in, you know, two minutes where I felt bad. God changed it all immediately. No, we grow through perseverance and those kind of things. Nobody here uh, thinks that everything's all instantaneous, right? So there's fellowship prayer, petition prayer, worship and praise. There's that. And there's listening and guidance prayer where we say, God, I'm here and I need direction. God, I need to know what you want me to know. I'm waiting. 
I'm listening. And his word does that. That's where his word often comes in. Pastor Mel used to use this phrase, and I saw him do it in a meeting we had many years ago, the late 80s. We had a terrible circumstance with um, somebody in ministry, and Pastor Mel came in, and the, he understood the gravity of the thing, and he sat down with us, and he was a calming influence because he wasn't sort of like, oh, what's going to happen? He, he sat down, and in his very calm voice, he went through some things, asked some questions to understand. Then afterward, he, came, he talked to us maybe, oh, I don't know, a few days later, and he said this, and I heard him say it several times afterward through the years. He said, I was in thinking prayer. And he used that term, and he said, and God said, and kind of gave a, kind of a course of action. But that phrase, I, I was in thinking prayer. It's like he was listening, and God, you gave me a, so, a sound mind to use. And I'm, it's open. I'm open to you speaking to me, and God gave direction. And Pastor Mel had a gift of wisdom. That was, you know, his gift, but that's for all of us, listening prayer where it isn't just us talking at God, us telling God what we want, us speaking and doing all of this, but listening at times. And God, I'm going to be quiet and see what you have to say to me. And sometimes of great pain, I didn't even hear a lot back. It wasn't like I felt that God spoke every time I was up, and I'm thinking about particularly a situation about 18 or 19 years ago, and I would get up in the night and wrap a blanket around myself to stay warm, and sometimes I'd talk and say things to God, but a lot of it was just pacing around the room, and a lot of times God didn't actually speak, but I felt like he was there. I I. I knew that he was with me. Like, uh, when I say I felt, don't, don't take that wrong that I was feeling chills or something like this. I just mean I wasn't alone. He was with me in the thing. And there was nothing to be said at the moment, I guess, because he wasn't saying anything, but I was listening for if he did. So these types of prayer, when he says, with prayer and petition, I don't think he's listing the whole list. He's giving a sample list, but he's saying through prayer, um, you know, you, the end is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And when Paul says the thing about in, you know, don't be anxious for anything, but in all things by prayer and petition or supplication with thanks, let your request be made known. They're, they're giving us a uh, a blueprint. Get with God these different kinds of prayer. Access Him. But the, the important thing is that we get near the one who has control. The one who knows. The one who sees the aerial shot. He knows what needs to be done. So that it isn't like where I'm looking and all I see are the next 
few steps and I don't even know what comes around that corner and that kind of thing. And God's looking up and it's like, you know, you got nothing to worry about. I've gone before you. I'm in behind you, your rear guard. I'm walking at your right hand. You're, you know, don't you be anxious. I'm with you. Prayer and peace instead of panic. Amen? The peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ. Now, in the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer, understanding you're quite likely, this is for us, you're quite likely living in the generation that will witness Jesus' return. Now, I don't say that like, oh, I'm predicting a date, but things are falling into place, and I believe it's quite possible. That's a bold statement, I know, but I believe it's quite possible that we're the generation that will witness Jesus' return. Don't be anxious about it. Combat the pull toward anxiety by constantly putting God's promises in your head and heart so that your head is clear and you have a healthy sense of urgency of the hour that we're living in so that you'll pray. Because it isn't just us either. I want to say, if he is coming back, we've got some work to do, some people to make Christ known to. Amen? Stay in fellowship with God in prayer. Keep bringing every circumstance to him in prayer. Worship him constantly. Listen and receive direction and counsel and guidance and understanding from his word. Okay, now I know I had said we'd get to verse 8. I just want to read it one more time so that next week, I said make sure you don't miss next week. Now some people are away. When they come back next week, we're going to get them for that, okay? Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. When you're praying this week, even pray that verse. See if God doesn't speak something to you this week. And so then when you come next week, everybody will be like, oh yeah, God gave us better revelation than you could ever (laughs) try to teach on this thing. Father, thank you for your church, for your people. We know that Peter said, the end of all things is at hand or is near. And he said it uh, close to 2,000 years ago. And yet, God, with some things that are taking place in the world, not even just the upheaval, but the preaching of the gospel in every nation and to every tribe and tongue, we know we're very close to what you said would be the thing that would happen before the end comes. The gospel would be preached everywhere. And so, Father, knowing, believing that we're close, I want to pray that you would give grace to the people in this room to pray, to pray effectively, to pray earnestly, to draw close to you, God, in a way that um, builds people strong from the inside out, that renews people, even as we sang earlier about God 
Let revival start in me. God, would you revive us through prayer and through the knowledge of your imminent return? God, would you use us to pray effectively for people to come into the kingdom, for laborers to be sent into your harvest? God, use us to make a difference in this hour through prayer, God. So grant that sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer in us, God. Again, if you want it, go ahead and ask him for it. Just say, God, I want to pray. I want to pray more earnestly. I want to pray with effect. I want to pray fruitfully. I want to know you closely, Lord, and walk with you so that my prayers aren't something kind of separate from relationship and real life in this world. God, pour out your Holy Spirit and fill each one here. Bless your people. In Jesus' great name, amen. Amen.